This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host uh, from Ringler Associates New England Operations. And we're glad you could join us again today. You can find all the Ringler Radio shows at ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com. So tune in and uh, you can hear the whole backlog of all the shows we've done. We've done quite a few. Our show's coming to you today from Seattle, Washington at the annual ATLA convention. And uh, we've been here for uh, several days now having a great time. And I just want to say that any of you who have not been up here to the great Northwest, uh, we we've have a lot of folks here who are quite surprised at how nice it is in Seattle, and uh, Seattle can be proud of itself. It's a great, great city. And I'm also pleased to have as my co-host uh, one of the Ringler Brokers from the West Coast, and Chad Weinstein from the Los Angeles office of Ringler Associates is joining us today on the phone. And uh, Chad, I'm sorry you're not up here with this beautiful weather in Seattle, but welcome to Ringler Radio. Larry, I'm sorry I'm not there as well, but I do appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this panel, and I'm very much looking forward to delving into this subject matter. Well, great, Chad. Well, we're pleased to have a very special guest with us today, and uh, he's from the CAOC, the Consumer Attorneys of California, and the pre- he's really the group's president-elect, uh, Attorney Ray Boucher from Los Angeles. And uh, Ray is a partner in the law firm of Kissel, Boucher, and Larson, and they specialize in complex consumer litigation construction defect, parodic liability, toxic tort, and employment discrimination and bad faith. He's on the board of directors also of the TLPJ, the Trial Lawyers for Public Justice. And uh, that's quite a big plate for you, uh, Ray. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Chad, you, uh, you're familiar with Ray down there in Southern California and, and the organization, the CAOC. Why don't you uh, open the conversation for us? Well, Ray, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you on this panel. Um, I know that you're uh, kind of an unbelievably busy person and and such a powerhouse and plaintiff bar, both on the local and the statewide level, both not only with consumer attorneys of California, but also with uh, consumer attorneys of Los Angeles as well. Um, We noticed that one of the issues, and I guess this would be my first question to you, is that it appears that the micro issue seems to be a high-priority issue for the state organization, Consumer Attorneys of California, at this time. Is this a high-priority issue for the organization, and if so, why at this time? Well, and before you start, Ray, uh, for our audience, why don't you uh, explain what the term micro means and and what it's all about? Unfortunately, back in 1975, the insurance companies, because they had lost so much money in investments, created a straw man litigation crisis, as they called it, involving medical doctors. Mm -hmm. And they created a fervor over alleged uh, lawsuits and lawsuit abuse and convinced the uh, policymakers in Sacramento to pass a legislation that would limit to $250,000 the human damages and suffering that somebody could receive as a result of medical death, I call medical homicide, at the hands of, uh, of doctors. 
and unfortunately, that law has been on the books for well over 30 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so MICRA is the you know, medical uh, limitation on damages that people can receive from a court of law and from a jury of their peers. Mm-hmm. You're really talking about caps on damages. You're talking very much about the original caps on damages mm-hmm. and uh, a model that uh, Bill Frist and Congress and other states around the country are trying to, to follow. Well, that seems to be a hot button in a lot of jurisdictions, this, uh, this issue and this fight, fight on the cap on damages. We just had a discussion with uh, the director of the WISLAW, the, uh, the Washington State uh, Organization, uh, and they had a referendum on this issue on the ballot, and uh, it, the caps were actually defeated by the public. So it was a very interesting uh, uh, way that they educated the public as to what the truth was around the issue, at least to their to their thinking, and they certainly won the issue. Have you been doing a lot of that uh, public relations uh, type of effort down there in California? Well, we have, and you know, it starts nationwide. ATLA has been at the forefront of providing information to the editorial boards and to various news medias around the country about the reality of caps on damages and the impact on access to justice when you do cap somebody's uh, somebody's damages. In, in California, if you are harmed, if somebody dies, a father of four dies as a result of medical malpractice, they're not likely to find a lawyer to take on their case mm-hmm. because economically it's impossible to do, so, to do that with a $250,000 cap. When all is said and done, uh, the family, if they're lucky, receives fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. And, you know, for lawyers, they can't keep in business if, if the limitations remain in, in, in place. And so it has been the single greatest impact on access to justice and shutting the door to justice, particularly for minority community members. Hmm. Well, what, what are you folks at CAOC, what are you actually doing to battle this? What, what, what's your game plan to try to uh, correct this, this issue? Well, um, I'm going to be a little bit uh, – I'm going to answer it a little – let me rephrase that. I don't want to lay out our game plan because I don't want the other side to have, you know, full access. You to sound like a football coach. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't want to completely lay it out. But let's say this. Um, that law has been on the books for, for th- over three decades. Mm-hmm. It has resulted in – far too many people being denied the chance to get justice. And as a result, it has provided immunity and um, provided an opportunity for doctors to escape responsibility when they harm somebody. So we have for many years been fighting to try to change MICRA. And ultimately, it is the most important thing that we have to do as the consumer attorneys of the state of California. Our game plan is to fight no matter where, in the trenches, in the news media, uh, in the public opinion polls, in Sacramento, uh, to make sure that we once and for all finally change the injustice that is micro. Hmm. Chad, you, uh, you're you involved in some real-life cases out there in California, and uh, maybe Ray is, is as well and can talk about that. Well, of course, Ray is involved in this, and and I am um, as well in a different role than Ray, of course. Of course, I'm not serving as an advocate, um, bringing a case uh, to fruition, but I am there towards the end, uh, especially 
as the parties are reaching a settlement. And Ray really highlighted the issue pretty well about having a, a denial of access to justice um, in one aspect where there's just not the opportunity for a plaintiff attorney to earn um, an acceptable investment for their time and capital spent uh, with no guarantee that that attorney would win. And therefore, Ray had indicated that a lot of um, injured people as a result of an alleged malpractice act are not getting any kind of um, justice. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if Ray might be able to just, I know we mentioned that a little bit, uh, but the second thing is maybe he can talk about um, attorneys that do take on them some of these cases with, um, uh, you know, these reduced economic damages with these caps and how maybe Ray can uh, give an example of somebody who's had these significant injuries and uh, is not getting what that really looks like to, to give an example of, of, of somebody I can do it, or perhaps Ray has, has some kind of example in mind. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, a young girl, 28 years old, mentally retarded, uh, brain capacity of a two year old is raped and impregnated because she goes to county hospitals and because she's on Medi-Cal, she receives substandard care. Uh, a high-risk pregnancy involving somebody with a two-capacity, uh, mental capacity of a two-year-old who's about ready to deliver a baby and needs special care and attention. Uh, in this particular circumstance, uh, the mother begged the hospital, begged the doctor on her hands and knees in tears to provide a cesarean section. A cesarean section was required because this was a high-risk pregnancy because it was an individual that could not communicate, that didn't understand what was happening to her. Uh, no doctor had ever even done an evaluation to determine whether she had the physical capacity to deliver the baby. Um, she hadn't received any kind of care for this child. Uh, and the doctors refused. They just absolutely refused. The nurses were crying and begging them, and yet uh, they denied this young girl the chance to provide a healthy baby through a cesarean section and required her to go through a, uh, a vaginal delivery, a natural childbirth delivery. What happened was the, the baby got stuck. They couldn't do an epidural. The woman delivered. The child had APGARs of one and three, uh, severe cerebral palsy, se severe seizures. And now you have a 28-year-old girl uh, with a young baby that mm. will never be able to have any kind of care, any kind of quality of life, and a grandmother who now has to take care of uh, two girls in diapers. Well, what were, the, what were the grounds where the hospital and the doctors refused to do the cesarean? Was it simply a monetary issue? It was simply a monetary issue. It was, this is a Medicare, Medi-Cal patient. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they didn't say that in the records, right. but it was very clear in deposing these individuals and questioning and looking at the records that uh, it was several factors. One is their Medi-Cal, Medicare patients and the monetary impact. Uh, the pressure put on by the insurance companies in particular not to do cesarean sections or any other costly uh, um, procedures that will keep patients in the hospital for more than outpatient uh, hmm. processes. And unfortunately, you had 
the a rape that resulted in a childbirth. That childbirth could have brought uh, true help and relief to the mom yeah. through the beauty of childbirth. And instead, now you have two invalids, both of whom are wards of the state. And rather than the doctor taking responsibility, we're all supposed to take responsibility for our actions. There's no other professional that is allowed to walk away from responsibility and to wash their hands uh, from the mistakes that they made. We're all required to make the mistakes right. Uh, I'm a professional. If I do something wrong, I'm expected to financially compensate those people that I'm hard. The medical profession is the only profession that has been given in California carte blanche to walk away from that responsibility. And in this case, it has shunted that responsibility. And now the state of California is paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just for these two children. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a sad commentary, obviously, and uh, it's a tragic, tragic case, and I'm sure you deal with a lot of them like that. What are, go ahead, and, uh, Chad. May I ask a follow-up question to you, Ray? And, and that is, it seems to be that there's so much myth that's integrated between the facts as far as how the, the, public, the public sort of views this, that they feel that uh, the public feels that their health insurance costs increase as a result of... Um, the amount of uh, money that medical that doctors have to pay for their medical malpractice insurance that this quote unquote runaway verdict has to do can you respond a little bit to all these um, possible myths or as far as how that might be affecting the public view on on why there isn't as much support sure I mean, the insurance companies have enormous amount of wealth, and they spend it to manipulate the public through the media. And one of the things that they've done is they've put doctors as the face of this fraud. Um, the insurance companies are making enormous amounts of money. They're making tremendous amounts of money on the premiums from doctors who have medical insurance. Uh, but um, they still want more, and so they've made this straw man, which is these runaway verdicts. The truth of the matter is that since micro went into place, the value of that $250,000 today is 68000 But between 1975 and 1988, the cost of medical insurance for the doctors who were supposed to be protected by this rose 450%, 450%, while the profits of the insurance companies rose at a very similar rate. And uh, yet people were denied access to justice. The, the reality is that this is an insurance company ploy designed to eliminate normal individuals, just salt-of-the-earth people, from getting a chance to have a day in court um, so that they can make a sickening profit. And the way to stop it is through insurance reform, and we've proven that through Prop 103 in California. When Prop 103 came into place, which put restrictions on the amount of increases in insurance, uh, the doctors received the relief that they needed, and uh, the insurance companies, unfortunately, are trying to destroy Prop 103. Hmm. Well, you know, unfortunately, MICRA is not the only issue that you're dealing with uh, in California and uh, in your organization. Why don't you brief us uh, for a few minutes on CAOC's stance on a few of the other important issues, uh, and let's talk about a few. What about uh, contingent fees, for example? Well, in California, we've been fortunate in uh, the battles that we have had with corporate America in 
trying to stop uh, people's access to justice by denying their chance for contingency fees or to hire a lawyer. I mean, here's the truth. A roofer, a nurse, a clerk, they don't have the kind of money that Ford or, you know, some insurance company has to hire a lawyer. If they get into an accident or if they have a problem, they don't have the resources to have a chance to hire somebody to represent them. And so the only opportunity they ever get to stand toe-to-toe on an even keel with corporate America, with those individuals that have harmed them, is through the contingency fee. And uh, in California, we've had several battles that have tried to take away the contingency fee and eliminate people's rights and opportunities to hire lawyers. And we've been extremely successful at beating those down. Hmm. Well, there are other issues as well, and uh, you know you might want to pick and choose as to which ones you want to speak about, but I know you're active in the areas of elder abuse and uh, environmental protection and product safety, and et cetera. What, what, what are some of the hot buttons that you want to hit on here this well, morning? One of the things that the public um, needs to understand more than anything, I think, is that every time they sign a contract, every time they get a credit card, every time they buy a car, Every time they go in to see a doctor now, more often than not, there is a very fine print clause that says you're waiving your right to a jury trial. You must go through a very expensive arbitration process. Mm -hmm. And I think the single greatest challenge and threat to the civil jury system in California and to people's rights is these binding arbitration provisions that require before you ever get into mm-hmm. a dispute that you waive your chance to a jury. What's, uh, for, the, for, the, for the audience, what is the basic problem with the binding arbitration uh, you know, forum to solve these issues? What, what do you see as, you know, other than the jury trial as being the alternative, what's wrong with the binding arbitration? Sure. There's uh, three major things that are wrong with it. One is the, the deck is stacked against you. You know, AAA and some of these other arbitration uh, groups are beholden to corporate America because that's where they make their money. They don't make their money off of, you know, Frank and Cindy Smith. You know, uh, they make their money off of Ford and and these other major behemoth corporations. So the implication is that the people that hire them, they're going to be a little more swayed to to decide in their favor. There's a huge bias in favor. The second thing is that it's costly. I don't know too many people uh, in middle America that can afford $100,000 to go through an arbitration process, particularly when their dispute is a $50,000 dispute. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's senseless. It makes no sense at all. Uh, we have a civil jury system that is designed to provide that access to justice, and it does a very good job of it. And it's very inexpensive for the average Joe on the street. Binding arbitration is a very, very expensive process that corporate America can afford and, you know, Cindy and, and Joe Smith, they can't. And then let me say the yep. third thing is that um, the requirements and the rules that are already set up deny you the chance to do discovery. So if you have a Ford rollover case or an asbestos case, you'll never get those documents that show the truth. You'll never get those documents that establish that these corporate entities knew there was a threat to human life and accepted that threat and went ahead and sold the product with those defects, you can't get those documents through mm-hmm. the binding arbitration process. You can in a court of law. 
Well, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, we've had other shows talking about the impact of confidentiality agreements and how it denies access to certain documents as, as well. You brought up some very good points here as far as uh, the issue uh, of uh, contingent fees and those kinds of things. We're going to take a short break, come back with our guest, and uh, we'll talk more about CAOC with Ray Boucher after a short break to hear from the people who make this all possible. Thanks. Stay with us. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, and we're here today at the Atla Convention in Seattle talking to a very special guest, the president-elect of the Consumers, Consumer Attorneys of California, or CAOC, uh, Ray Boucher. And we're also here with our co-host, uh, Chad Weinstein from Los Angeles, and Chad joins us on the phone. Chad, how is it down there in L.A. today? <laughs> it's, uh, you don't have to twist my arm to be here. It's about 82 <laughs> degrees and sunny. I know. I hear, that, I hear that in the dead of winter when I'm up in Boston. They, they make me jealous. Well, Ray, we, we were talking before the break about uh, some of the hot-button issues that you, your organization is involved in, and we're going to talk about a few more. But before we even do that, let's take a step back for a second. G- give us a little overview. What, uh, how did CAO, CAOC get started, and uh, what's the organization about? The organization's been around for over 50 years. It uh, began when a small group of very, very concerned trial lawyers uh, began to realize that we needed to help our profession, to lift one another up and to provide better representation for people through education, and excellent education. And that was really the thing that, that started CEOC. It grew from that. Uh, and frankly, micro was the the hot button issue that caused CAOC and the attorneys in California to realize that we needed to become a voice, a powerful voice in the political process in mm-hmm. order to protect people and protect uh, the court system, the civil justice system. And uh, so it grew 
over the over the years into what is now considered one of the most powerful political organizations in the state of California, and the only one, well, I shouldn't say the only one, but the only uh, top one that has the kind of resources necessary to fight the good battle um, that is there to help consumers and to fight on behalf of consumers, whether it's environmental issues, whether it's product safety issues, uh, you know, we're the ones that are there. You know, it's it's interesting you call yourselves the Consumer Attorneys of California. You know, uh, we're here at ATLA, and we're hearing an awful lot about ATLA's looking to perhaps change its name to from the Trial Lawyers Association to something more uh, akin to how they feel the public's going to perceive it in a, in a little better light. Uh, and I, I think they're heading towards a consumer-oriented name as well. What uh, How do you find you coordinate with ATLA and your group and, and ATLA and how you help each other? And what do you think about that name change? Well, you know, the, the name change is, uh, is an emotional uh, issue that often results in a visceral, visceral response. I mean, we all are trial lawyers, and we're proud of being trial lawyers. We're tr- proud of the tradition of being in the tr- trenches at the bar of justice, fighting on behalf of those people that don't have a voice. And that's where we see ourselves, and, and that's why it's such an emotional issue. But Unfortunately, corporate America has spent billions of dollars to tarnish the name of trial lawyers and the impact of what we do in providing a better society. And what we found is that um, consumers and consumer law is something that the public has a much better understanding of. They don't know. When they think of trial lawyer, they think of O.J. Simpson's lawyers. Mm -hmm. They don't think of the lawyers that are standing there in the courtroom fighting on behalf of that family that lost three children in a Ford rollover case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, we've, we've worked very closely with ATLA about the name change, and we've shared our information and um, our uh, history with the name change with ATLA. And I think that probably it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. I think it'll probably pass overwhelmingly. And it's something that hopefully through continued media contacts, the public will get a better understanding and a better feel for who we are and what we do. Interesting. Well, you know, one of the ways consumers benefit uh, when they're represented properly by by lawyers in cases like like the ones you discussed is when it finally comes down to to getting the settlement dollars, uh, oftentimes consumers and and, and the the litigants uh, and the plaintiffs need some help in how to, you know, conserve those dollars and, and, and have those dollars last for the long term. And, Chad, what, what you do and, of course, certainly what I do and a lot of the structure brokers around the country do is to help preserve those settlement dollars for these consumers who are, who are you know, who are lucky enough to get some award. And, uh, Chad, why don't you talk about how you work on some of these cases and, and maybe, Ray, then you can speak to uh, how structured settlements have helped you uh, and some of your clients preserve those assets. Chad? Sure, Larry. Thank you. Well, the plaintiff's bar has been very receptive to um, uh, encouraging in appropriate circumstances the use of structured settlement annuities, I think in part because it's an extension of their core philosophy, which is to protect the consumer. And basically, the the fact is that in nine out of ten times when a plaintiff um, does not utilize this fantastic asset protection mechanism. Uh, the plaintiff has no financial assets 18 months from the date of uh, their settlement. So it's a very compelling statistic to get the plaintiff attorney's attention and to have the plaintiff attorney talk frankly with their clients about how to conserve 
these all-important assets because, of course, it's a little bit like a chicken and the egg. There's a public policy to encourage injured plaintiffs to spend, uh, to save the money that they've received as a result of a physical injury. And uh, the encouragement is to waive all taxes, federal and state taxes, on the growth of um, this income by being placed in a structured settlement annuity. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, um, the leadership of the local uh, Consumer Attorneys Association of Los Angeles and the state organization, Consumer Attorneys of California, has been re- very receptive in uh, understanding and acknowledging the importance of uh, this spendthrift protection, which is offered through the use of a structured settlement annuity. Ray, how do you uh, how do you encourage it among your own clients and your organization? Well, a couple of things. Um, one, Larry, uh, you know, sometimes this is un- under under emphasized uh, or overlooked. Uh, oftentimes, it is the structured settlement and only the structured settlement that makes settlement possible. Mm-hmm. There are many times when dollar-wise, you're just too far apart. But if you have a good structured settlement broker who can sit down and figure the best way to manage that money and to preserve the money and provide the tax benefits of structured settlements, you're able to to get a deal done. And uh, that happens over and over and over again. And that's one of the most important values of the structured settlement process. On top of that, obviously, um, you know, you take a significant amount of money and put it in the hands of an individual who hasn't had those resources before, and they have you know eight or nine or ten brothers and sisters, all of whom who have you know, needs. And it's hard to say no, uh, and suddenly, within a very short period of time, all those resources are gone, and that person is left. You know, unfortunately, high and dry at that point. Structured settlements help protect against that. Well, you know, you're you're saying some very interesting things. We we're certainly sold on it, and I know the audience has a lot of uh, a lot of empathy towards you know folks who dissipate their funds. Uh, hopefully, it'll continue to become a, a real resource for helping save those dollars, especially in, in you know if you're in California, you're subject to these micro rules, uh, you know, I mean, you have smaller dollars to make go a long way. So it's, it's, it's a help, I'm sure, there. Well, we've had a very uh, interesting discussion today. Uh, Ray, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, and uh, Chad, you've, uh, you've enjoyed it too, I'm sure. Well, this has been a wonderful opportunity to join you, Larry, and it's, oh, it's, it's a fantastic privilege to hear from uh, Ray Boucher and, and, and participate in this conversation. Well, Ray, good luck to you and the CAOC folks. If someone wanted to get in touch with your organization, how do they do that? Is there a website or, a, or an email address? There's a, a website, coc.org, um, mm-hmm. uh, in California, and um, it'll take you right there. Great. And, Chad, uh, how about getting in touch with you? My uh, website. My email address is c w e i n s t e i n at ringlerassociates dot com. Well, remember, you can reach all Ringler brokers at the ringlerassociates dot com. Uh, you find uh, anyone in your area. And uh, Ray, as the president elect, good luck. You have a lot on your plate. I'm sure you're going to be a very busy man for a while. Uh, the rest of you out there, we're having a great time here in Seattle. Now you go out and have a great day. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. 
Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity.